opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, we appreciate you being with the show this morning. Joining me in studio is the chairman of the County Board of Supervisors, Clint Hickman. Thanks for coming in and doing this. Mike, it's always a pleasure. You, you're really great about making invitations and uh, getting us to talk about things. Yeah, I want to I want to get to this report that came out. Now, the Justice McGregor uh, explained this report as well. The findings say that there was no intentional misdeeds done. I think that's the most important message, right? Yeah, that's very important, and that's why the— uh, Maricopa County Attorney's Office. Uh, basically, uh, Justice McGregor worked for them. They they employed her uh, to come up with a, a report and a deep dive on on the issues that occurred on uh, on uh, election day, and she got a, exactly what we were hoping for uh, a deep dive into the process, the people, and the uh, machinery that ran that election that day. So um, we were prepared. For just about anything, uh, what, what came out of that, and, and with the county attorney's office, if there was a law enforcement need uh, that arised, there there they were to see it too. Well, I had had a conversation with you. I had talked with Bill Gates. I've talked with a few other people, and it seemed to be that you at the board were taking a hands-off approach. That you were just going to let somebody else handle it. You had no influence over this report, so you really saw it for the first time when we saw it. Correct? Yeah, I uh, I made sure of that. Um, we wanted a true independent report, you know, because everyone's going to say with the, with the amount of, of um, people speaking of the county jobbing things and uh, and other reports that maybe were suppressed. I wanted to make sure that the public uh, was able to see this. And I uh, Justice McGregor and I met only now for the second time just yesterday in an executive session. I, I don't even think she remembers the first time we met so many years ago. I made it a point uh, to not ask any questions. It's like uh, the county attorney's office uh, hired her. Um, I want to thank her uh, with extreme gratitude uh, that she came into this thing and um, using, you know, she has an extreme amount of integrity on, on situations like this. And uh, think about what the environment she entered. Uh, she put her name out there. Uh, she hired technicians. She hired uh, experts in their fields. They were willing to put their name on that to say we were the experts that looked into it. So, And, and in this t- time frame where people start doxing people, I thank her for her service for this. Well, and it's, it's similar to in the sense of being out there in the public and jumping into the fray of when, um, it, when you guys ask John Shattig to be the special master. There's somebody that had an impeccable reputation and did exactly the same thing and jumped into the middle of this firestorm. And uh, from what I've heard from John Shattuck, uh, it wasn't it wasn't pleasant uh, in the aftermath with that either. If uh, you ever choose to choose to talk to talk to him about it, Um, and and let me go back to the my colleagues on the board. Uh, Yeah. Just as much as I wanted this to be independent, it, it takes an extreme amount of uh, uh, toughness, I guess, to say I'm staying far away from this and I'm going to see this all together uh, at the same time and be able to ask questions. But we didn't know what we were going to see. And that went all the way up till yesterday at uh, one o'clock. So let's talk about what this report found, the mistakes that it found or the issues, I should say, more made it probably a better term. What issues did they find? Well... The, the end result is uh, what they found was the, uh, the the printers had a problem with uh, going towards uh, thicker paper, 
and also when we went to the 20-inch ballot. And the reason why we went to a 20-inch ballot is we felt very strongly uh, for a lot of different reasons that we wanted to keep that ballot uh as one uh, front and back, and there was a lot of races in one in one district uh, in one precinct area. There was eighty seven races that had to appear on one piece of paper for both you know for both mail in and uh, day of uh, printing. So that that's basically what it found, and uh, we had no idea. The stress testing uh, was was important. What our findings were that. Uh, the way we performed the stress test, uh, totally logical, and we performed it, show, shown that we performed it, and it just didn't find uh, find what happened on, on that day. So we try to use stress testing as a predictor, but now it looks like we're going to have to try to mirror what we expect on a same-day uh, – you know, we almost have to make sure that the equipment – is going to perform exactly how it's being asked to. Uh, here's and for layman's terms, when it comes to these printers, we did we did test it. Um, we tested it kind of like uh, in layman's terms when you go drive a car. Uh, you you know when you perform a test of you're going to purchase a new car, you go take that car and you need to go take it out for a couple miles and you go drive it. But that's not real a real situation when you own that car. You stop at McDonald's, you let it sit there at work for for uh, two days, and that's what we found about what happened with this intermittent testing. Uh, the the toner wasn't heated up enough, uh, so the fusers didn't work in some. But the, the the odd part is it worked sporadically. It didn't just go down and stop. Uh, it it sporadically worked and and didn't. If it was running sequentially, it they performed better. But if you think how you vote on day of, you know, here comes a voter, they print the ballot. Here comes another voter five minutes later or five seconds later. So it's uh, it's it's tough on those printers. Clint Hickman joins us. He is the chairman of the County Board of Supervisors of Maricopa County. Um, so for the voters of Maricopa County, they deserve elections that run as smoothly as possible. What measures can you put in place? You can't ever ensure nothing is ever going to happen, but to make sure these problems are to a minimum and people can be confident in the elections that we have. Yeah, and I, I'd go back to uh, we, we've started to get more and more confident even through the, uh, the use of primary um, the the primary right was uh but that was a 19 inch ballot okay so we went to a, tw- a 20 inch ballot uh that was performed uh, on 100 pound paper stock uh let's go back a little bit and i think we are uh back to 2020 with sharpie gate well that was heavy in our minds about the bleed through issues and what people were talking about with the ink bleeding through even though we knew offset printing would discount that even the cyber ninjas found that no votes uh, were um, messed with, I guess, if you could say. Uh, the machines uh, performed magnificently. The other thing is uh, when you talk about tabulation, when when the heat of the day, the fog of war that's going on, uh, everybody says, you know, your, your, your game plan in war uh, works all the way up till the first shot's fired. You're, you're in a prize fight. Uh, you go according to plan until you get hit in the nose for the first time. <laughs> Mike Tyson said everyone has a plan until they get hit in the face. Uh, and that's what we did. We got we got hit in the face early, and uh, our technicians, our T-Techs, went out there and tried to d- decipher the problem, run back, uh, who we 
who we pay for uh, those ballots and the and the printers. They they were out there. They deduced. They finally figured out some of the problem, and we were able to allay it. Uh, and by the time. You know, it ended. The the printers are still having small problems. But do you go back to the 19 inch ballot and the thinner paper and problem solved, or oh, what are you going to do in 24? Well, that's 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 a problem when it when it comes to 19 inch. Do you, does do the do the voters want to have two uh, ballots show up in one envelope? Do we do we hope that they fill them out and and send them in correctly? What what if what if they leave something behind on the kitchen table? Uh, what it, so what do we do about that? That's why we felt very strongly. Um, the the report makes some recommendations. Uh, the great thing is we have time to look at those recommendations and see how we can implement them. This to me is absolutely a post uh, election report done by independent sources. We usually do that on our own uh, with the county. What went right? What went wrong? Learn from it. Uh, put them in place for the next one. We are we are going to continue to try to perform uh, excellent elections. We're going to get there again. All right, we have one more segment with uh, with the supervisor Hickman. We're going to get back to more of this on the story and some of the history in just a few moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, ninety two three FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, in studio with us is the chairman of the County Board of Supervisors of Maricopa County, Clint Hickman. Um, let me start with this. Do you understand the frustration of the voters from Election Day in 2022? Yes, absolutely. I've, I've lived this role for, for a while now. I was appointed and then, and then elected in 2013 and then elected in 2014. And I, I lived through uh, the presidential preference uh, election where there were lines under Helen Purcell and um, she lost her job because of it. And um, so I totally understand the frustrations. Uh, one of the things, though, is I like um, uh, I, I hope people understand that we're always looking to do better. All, all of my colleagues are always looking to do better in this slight time that that we have these roles. And uh, but I understand the frustrations. And and that's what this report is about. Let's. I heard the frustrations, and I had frustrations. Believe me, I was driving uh, to different poll locations that day. Uh, I wasn't seeing near uh, the amount of drama, I guess, in the West Valley and the seven that I visited that day. But I was hearing from my colleague Tom Galvin uh, on the east side that of his frustrations, and that's and that's why we instantly said we're going to get dig, dig down to the bottom of it. We got to get better every every day. We Maricopa County needs to get better. And I know that you haven't gone through, or at least look through all of the uh, recommendations, but are you confident that between now and 24, that with the recommendations in that report and with other experts that you have, that you're going to do a much better job in 24? Oh, I'm extremely confident of that. You know, uh, with with the report and what they said, uh, she said straight out that there were the people and the personnel um, have a passion for their job and and they and they performed their job correctly to what, what they knew what was happening. Uh, the technicians were out there flying around and we fixed most of the problem by the time voting day was was ended but um yeah so i feel very strongly it also gives us enough time these recommendations were asked for uh justice mcgregor from an outside person looking in with your experts what can we do better what can we implement in time um we're going to look at the machinery we're going to look at printers we're going to look at new printers um the the thing is the printers that performed very well are much more expensive 
they're much larger they they draw more power and are our polling sites that we pick capable of supporting that or is our fleet capable of supporting deliveries like that uh the 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 small printers that seem to fail sporadically um are smaller uh they're more versatile and uh so we're going to look at we're going to look at everything just like we always have let's take a, a walk back for a moment let's go all the way back to the audit that was sure. performed because there has been it, it, depending on which side of the fence you are on this issue either there have been it's been exhaustive in the investigation and all throughout the process the stolen election narrative has been disproven the other side of this has said that there have been a lot of unanswered questions that would have pointed to a stolen election what can you tell us about the process going back to the audit to where we are today that makes you confident that there was no foul play <laughs> Well, I was chairman during 2020, Mike, and uh, I followed this all the way through, all the way through to see a suppressed report from Attorney General Brnovich that didn't get out into the light. So that's what this report is about, too. The public's going to see this quick. Um, so uh, we've learned some things even from 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 that audit. Here's here's one thing, you know, tr- trying to act on the Sharpie gate. I'll go back to that. People didn't like to bleed through. People talked about it and felt that there was something going on with that. And look what we did. We, we introduced 100-pound paper, 100-pound uh, test paper. And, and that created uh, – sorry, but it created a little bit of a problem uh, with, with these printers. So, uh, so we, we acted on things that we saw that were creating uh, some distrust in the system up and down the line. So that's that. One of the issues, though, that is still a front and center issue for people that believe the elections are unfair or false is signature verification of early ballots. What mm-hmm. needs to happen there to quell that, the people being upset? Some still saying that there are thousands of signatures that are not verified. Well, it depends on the some who's saying that. This has already been through court uh, two years ago uh, through a Kelly Ward lawsuit where experts looked at that signature verification and the standards. The standards on verifying signatures have even We've even upped our game on that, if anyone cared to find out. Stephen Richer has talked about that, um, our recorder. Um, so uh, I don't know what more to do other than with an education. There's The signature verification goes through in front of boards, our election boards. Um, if, if, it's, if it's a mismatched or if there's something different about that signature, that goes in front of a Republican and a Democrat sitting at a table looking at it, and then it goes, goes in takes further steps all the way to the point because that's why that phone number is on that envelope we our people call the those numbers and verify and you have to attest that that's your signature before we we even take it out of the envelope and count that vote so if people took the time and learned more about the process if people engaged in the process if people were willing to work uh during election day uh, or election what they call election month with early voting uh with through the mail-in voting as they come in 80 percent of our people vote mail-in so those signatures are extremely important um, and I I appreciate the steps that the Maricopa County's done even before I got here uh, and that is guided by the legislature also the legislature also looks at these standards and uh, if they want to change them they can legislatively and statutorily and what we do is we'll pl- we'll plug those in all right so you get the last word what do you say to the voters in Maricopa County that haven't seen this report yet and what do you say to them moving forward for 2024? 
so I would I would I, I know that this report is up on your website. Um, it's not hard reading. The report was done magnificent magnificently i believe uh we're to put it in layman's terms take a look it's 33 pages of your life to take a look at about what happened on election day um and and take a look at it um the i feel more and more engaged and passionate just like my people do of of pulling off as close to perfect elections as we can knowing though that no election. It's a people process. There's thousands of people that work. One mistake by one person can lead to uh, heightened uh, irritation. So uh, know that about it. Come and work. Come and work. If you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, come and work in an election. Really see the steps that the county takes. Uh, and uh, last thing is, let's just say... <laughs> the Maricopa County does so many things that we need to look at, but the, the we need to remember what drawer three is and what a ballot box is, and uh, we need to take a look a little bit harder look at uh, at day of tabulation at the sites, and we are going to um, some of some of this stress was created by us trying to our board and our recorder trying to give people options and make it easy to vote. But there's a lot of steps that make it incredibly hard to cheat. And think about it, folks. There's thousands of people. How do you, how do you have a thousand people can participate? Thousands of people participate in a conspiracy of of stopping a free and fair election. It just it's just it's just not happening. So I I hope people will go in. I hope people will vote in this next election. I hope I hope Tempe residents are voting in the one that we're we're taking care of right now for the city of Tempe. Well, I appreciate the time. This is uh, Clint Hickman. He's the chairman of the County Board of Supervisors. We appreciate the time and hope people read this report. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. All right. We'll be back in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here, and I want to thank Clint Hickman from the County Board of Supervisors. The interview is going to go up online. I hope you'll at least listen to it. We'll get perspectives across the board from people uh, on this issue. I, I want all of us to be confident in our elections, as do I believe everybody involved in this issue. We'll just hope that that happens in 24. I uh, want to quickly talk about an interesting topic. It's called Blue Flight. Scores of cops from New York and other Democrat cities relocate to Florida. Um, and this is not about going after cities. It lists cities in New York and California um, and Texas and Pennsylvania where the cities themselves have been part of the defund the police movement, some of the narrative against the police and some of the district attorneys that have been a lot less uh, willing to punish criminals or to go after criminals. So those police officers were invited. If you remember, the governor of Florida made a trip and actually went around to some of these cities, Governor DeSantis, 
and invited those law enforcement organizations. If you're not being treated well here, come to our come to our state. Florida will embrace you in a different way. As you might have, as you might know, there are three or four sheriffs in the state of Florida that are very outspoken and they're very brash when they talk about law enforcement in their in their counties. One of them is the county I live in, and that's Lee, not live in lived in in Lee County, Florida. My brother and his wife both are sheriffs employees. My brother's a captain. His wife is a deputy. They work for the sheriff. His name is Carmine Marcino, and he is another outspoken person. In the days after Hurricane Ian, when the concern was about looting, um, Carmine Marcino, Sheriff Marcino, was very vocal in what would happen to you if you took advantage of a situation like that and tried to loot. That is very attractive to citizens that want to be protected and by law enforcement officers that want to do their job. Cops are not looking to hurt anyone, but they are looking to protect people. And when they feel like they're out there risking their lives and the people that are there to prosecute those crimes are not as willing to prosecute, why would they risk their lives? That's part of this whole system. It's that that relationship between prosecutors and between law enforcement. That's a big part of it. We talked earlier about, uh, I've talked about it a lot, um, companies coming to Arizona, teacher retention in the state of Arizona. Uh, I know the governor has a task force in that regard, and a lot of it is along the same lines. It has a lot of the same narrative. It is about money. People have got to pay the bills. There's a lot of things that you want to do. If we all could, if we all thought, you know what, what do I love to do? What's my favorite hobby? What is it? If you're someone that loves to golf every weekend, you think, man, if I could make a living doing this, I would. But you can't. Nobody's going to pay somebody with a 15 handicap to be a professional golfer. So you golf when you can and you do what you have to do to pay your bills. But you, if it is your career, you have got to go out there. And be able to pay your bills while doing a job you love. That's a cop. That's a teacher. That's all of these people. But it isn't just the money. Everybody I know believes that they're worth more. There's a reason why superstar athletes that are making well into the millions of dollars per season have an agent that's negotiating for more money. There's a reason why it takes them longer to sign those contracts. It's because they believe that they're worth more than they're getting when it's in the tens of millions of dollars at times. So it is not just exclusively money. It is about how you're treated. It's how you're treated by leadership. It's how you're treated by your immediate bosses. And when it comes to government work, the leaders around you, there is a relationship between the sheriff's office and the county board of supervisors. The difference being the sheriff is elected by the people. The sheriff reports to the voters of that county. That's not how it is for a police chief. That's not how it is for a street cop. And for street cops that are frustrated when they're working in cities like New York, where the punishment for criminals is not what it should be in their minds, and they look at a place like Florida where the law enforcement community and the prosecution community are together in saying if you commit crimes here, there's going to be serious repercussions, those are the places they want to work. It is the weather. It is the beaches. It's all of those things. But there's a reason why they're relocating. So what do we learn in Arizona? How do we make sure that we are not losing officers or deputies or troopers to other places? But let's go just with the city of Phoenix and what they're up against. What does the city of Phoenix have to do to keep their officers from going to other agencies in the valley? 
If you think about it, it is a major, major city in the fifth largest city in the country. They face big city crime. They handle big city issues. And there are a lot of smaller towns that are growing rapidly that are looking for that kind of experience in their leadership. What keeps a Phoenix cop a Phoenix cop? The other side of that is what lessons can Phoenix learn and Arizona as a whole learn from Florida and their recruitment? In telling people, yes, we're going to pay you well, we're going to pay you the best we can, but most of all, we respect what you do from our management level, city management level, and we also respect what you do because the prosecutors are going to be as enthusiastic about prosecution as you are about crime fighting. And I think that's the recipe. It's an interesting read, this blue flight. It's an interesting read. What we're going to do in a moment, uh, talk about the controversy about the Bud Light and the transgender partnership. Does it go deeper than a picture on a beer can? We'll talk about that coming up here in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Um, this conversation, I've been watching how this unfolds, and I've been trying to do my best to wrap my arms around the stuff outside of the the jokes that are being made about what Bud Light did with this partnership with a trans activist and how they're. Uh, it, it, I don't think that most of us, uh, once you get older, I think when most of us become adults, we. We don't kind of get into those juvenile fights. There is an emotional thing that happens when you're very young, and you realize when you get older, you become more pragmatic. And and at least we try to. At least I, I make the attempt to. Um, so d- is this deeper? Is this transgender con- controversy deeper than a trans activist on a beer can? Is it part of a bigger picture? Because um, I would say that there's two sides to every argument. I told you my favorite thing a friend of mine used to say is it's a pretty thin slice of ham that doesn't have two sides. I've repeated that probably 500 times because there is always two sides to something or usually two sides to a conversation. And I wonder if the activists in the trans community ever stop to wonder why people are pushing against them. Do you think that the average working person cared about that much about Bud Light? I'll be honest with you. No, it's like there are people that are brand loyal. And that's one of the things that people and organizations and products work very hard for is brand loyalty. We would love nothing more than to have you be KTAR loyal. We would love brand loyalty. Yes, the individual shows whether you like them or you don't like them, but we would love for you to be loyal to the brand. Um, Anheuser-Busch, same way. A Ford, doesn't matter. They want you to be brand loyal. You're going to buy a Ford because you like Ford. We don't care which model, but we want you to be brand loyal. If they take that brand and they do something that upsets you, then maybe you say, ah, I'm done with this or whatever. But to have the outcry that we've had from people over this Bud Light thing, it's got to be deeper. To have grown people with grown people problems have such a voice and a visceral reaction to what's happening. I got a couple of stories that I think lend itself to this, and I'm hoping people will think about it. Um, Men are sweeping competitions in yet another female athletic category. This one is in um, 
in cycling. Uh, the other headline is from a uh, an, an a, uh, athletic director at San Francisco State University. University athletics director claims there is no competitive difference between men and women. That is an outright lie. We all know that is an outright lie. But this is where we've gone to with this conversation. When can we have a real conversation about what this means? Because I will tell you, I grew up, and I mean this affectionately, I grew up in a redneck community. We were country boy, men be men, women be men, women kind of a community where boys don't cry and you got to be tough. And I grew up in all of that environment, manly sports, manly things. I mean, all of it. I don't know anybody, anybody who cares how you live your life. Now, people are going to crack jokes, especially if they're funny. But in the end, you be you and let me be me. That's how they live. That, and I still believe that's how the average person lives. I don't care how you identify. I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care what's in your nightstand. I don't care. And neither do most people. There's a reason why this visceral reaction to what's happening. And I think part of it is if you're in my face, I'm going to get in yours. If you're going to tell me that we are going to have drag queen story hour in elementary school libraries with my children in attendance, I'm going to stand up and say the hell you are. If you tell me I am a bigot for my response to that, I'm going to tell you not only am I not a bigot, I'm just using common sense. The harder you push, the harder I'm going to push back. There wasn't a group of people that just woke up one day and said, hey, let's go after the LGBTQ plus community. Let's go after the trans community. Let's go after trans people specifically because we just hate them. There is a give and take in any relationship or any controversy. And there, you have to look at this and say, wait a minute. Many of these people have daughters or nieces or sisters that are involved in women's sports. And now you have people forcing their way in and saying, I'm coming along now and I'm doing this and you're going to agree with it. Your 12-year-old girl is going to change in a locker room with a 12-year-old boy. I'm talking about genetic or, or uh, by, um, gender, you know, whether how they identify is different, still anatomically a male. And if your daughter isn't comfortable with that or you're uncomfortable with that, you're the bigots. Get used to it. And you don't expect any pushback. You don't expect people to rise up and say, I'm done with this. I don't care how people live their lives. You're cornering me and telling me I have to do this. And on top of that, if I don't do it, I'm a bigot. All of a sudden, I am something I've never been accused of before. If you don't see legitimacy in that argument, you're not paying attention. Because for women... Unfortunately, for whatever reason it is, and a lot of it has to do, I guess, with competitiveness or whatever, beyond they have women's professional soccer, they've got the WNBA, but the the possibility for women professionally in sports, women's tennis, women's golf, there are fewer and fewer opportunities post-college for women in athletics than there are for men. So for them... Their World Series, their Super Bowl, their Masters is the college level. 
And now you have this piece, these pieces of legislation that are saying not only are we going to allow biological men to compete in women's sports and dominate those sports. But if you push back and say you can't, A, activists are going to ridicule you and attack you. B, we're not going to do anything about those attacks. And C, anybody who thinks they shouldn't be allowed is a bigot and is a hate monger. And anything you say is hate speech. That's why the Bud Light can thing is a big deal. It isn't brand loyalty. It's people saying we just don't want you so in my face telling me what kind of a horrible person I am for saying no to your idea. And I just think I hope people will think about it. I just hope they'll think about it. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, we're going to talk about the economy locally and nationwide. How good is it? How good will it be?